0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I'm your host, Will McFadden. How about that new intro music? I thought it was pretty cool, so uh, let us know If you like it, or if you want us to change it back, happy to do that. Uh, Shoot us an email at believeinfalcons at gmail.com to let us know. Awesome show today. We've got Mark Zinno on to talk, you know, a lot of the Falcons offseason moves, uh, some recent reports, moves that have been made, uh, really crowded running back room now. Uh, Jeff Schultz's report uh, in The Athletic about Deion Jones, you know, potentially exiting. So we're going to break into all of that. Uh, for the duration of today's show, a little bit of a, a programming note here. I think we're because it's the the summer; it's a little bit slower. There's not as much going on. I've I've got an, a cool idea kind of in the works, and for those of you familiar with um, the rewatchables on the Ringer podcast feed, that's pretty much you know where I got this idea from. And what it is is basically we're going to be looking back at some of the most notable games uh, in Falcons history, some really entertaining games, but just kind of a, a way to get a span of history and talk about some players in a, a context that we didn't necessarily have at the time. So I'm going to invite on different guests, uh, hopefully for each show. It should be a much more laid back, uh, conversational, just fun, shooting off the hip, talking about a football game, which is really you know, what we're what we love to do and, and what we're all here because we enjoy. But it's, it's going to be the Michael Vick era. It's going to be Steve Bartkowski, um, you know, maybe some of the early Matt Ryan stuff for those who who are around for that ride. So we're going to kind of be able to look at some some former players, uh, some great games, some forgotten guys who are we who are we leaving out. We'll have some categories. It'll be a lot of fun. The first game that we are going to be doing is the 2002 Wild Card victory in Lambeau Field that really, I think, introduced Michael Vick to the uh, NFL stage in a big, big way. Uh, Joining me for that conversation will be the Falcoholics, Dave Choate and Matt Chambers. Uh, So we're we're just going to chop it up. We're actually going to record that later tonight. um, And it'll go up, I think, on Tuesday after Memorial Day. So look, be on the lookout for that. And then we're going to kind of keep doing a bunch of those throughout the summer. So yeah, really excited to that. We're going to get to my conversation with Mark Zeno in one second, but you know I'm going to keep this brief because a lot of you guys come to this for an escape. You like football, you like sports, all of that stuff. Frankly, it's it's an escape for me too to be able to talk about uh, the game that I love and and the game that I am fortunate enough to get to cover. But we can't afford to escape what happened earlier this week at, in Uvalde, Texas, and it's another mass shooting, uh, another elementary school shooting. I mean these are Eight, nine, ten-year-old kids. Twenty-one people died. Nineteen kids. It's it's horrible, and there is no escape. We should not be trying to escape from that because it's a brutal reality that our country faces. And it's not a political problem. It's an American problem. And people a lot smarter than me are working to figure this out. Uh, all I have is a podcast. It's a platform, but we have to all at least agree that this needs to change, and something needs to be done. So. That's it. That's all I'm going to say on it. I just wanted to speak my mind and, and get this off my chest because it's something I've been thinking about a lot recently uh, this week, and it's, it's horrible. Um, so, so please continue to think about it. Uh, reflect on, on how we got here and, and how we can get out of it because it'll take everybody. So that's it. Let's get to my conversation with Mark Zeno and a little bit of football talk. Our partners at BetOnline continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest odds, news, and sports developments for the NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball, Fights, and NFL futures at BetOnline. BetOnline is your continued source for all sports wagering needs, including live betting and the fan favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's really easy to get started. So head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up and use our promo code Believe. That's B L E A V to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. It's really that easy. So head over there, just get it signed up. And remember, bet online, where the game starts. Joining me now is Mark Zeno, host of A to Z with Mark Zeno on the Locked on Sports Atlanta podcast feed, and also the host of the Hazard Ground podcast, as well as being a national sports betting analyst. Mark, man, that's. Quite a lot you got going on. How are you? Uh, how you doing? And thank you so much for finding the time to uh, to join me today.
0: I'm searching for sleep and more hours in the day. That's about it. But uh, <laughs> staying busy, brother. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here with you, man. Yeah, we're
1: doing a, a little bit of a home and home this yeah. week. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hopped I on your it. podcast Tuesday, and uh, and you're here to talk about the Falcons on this podcast. And you know, I was kind of looking through some of the news that's occurred since we last spoke, and a bunch of stuff came out today. Uh so we're gonna kind of start right off the top with with kind of the biggest news, which is I think that Deion Jones uh expected to miss the entirety of the offseason after having uh shoulder surgery. Arthur Smith um, you know, announced that today at the press conference. So we talked a lot on Tuesday about kind of was Deion Jones's future in Atlanta coming to an end sooner rather than later. Uh does this change any of of your opinion on on everything we've heard about Deion Jones recently?
0: I mean, it makes him untradable like that's the pro- like even if someone was going to offer you a 7th round draft pick and be willing to take his contract which I don't think anybody's yeah. is willing to do um he's untradeable at this point so it's either cut him or pay him to not play I mean that's essentially what it boils down to uh and my guess is here as we sit here on May 26th 27 28 29 30 31 6 days from now he'll be gone uh, I don't think there's any reason to believe that he's any part of this if you look at what they've put in that linebacker room uh, yep. among just all the, even if you don't know all the names, just know <laughs> that they've brought in five or six different linebackers. They drafted Troy Anderson, uh, you know, and, and this is all when losing Foy- Foyer Lucon as well. So they've had to put bodies there. But between what Dion's skill set is, you know, he's not really a fit for the three, four defense that Dean Peace runs. And clearly the tape showed last year that this was not a guy who really put forth the best effort. So for somebody who was fighting for a job or at least trying to keep a job, uh, Deion didn't do a very good job. I guess he figured, I got my money, I got paid, I got X m- number of million guaranteed, and you know, I'll let the chips fall, they may. Well, the chips are gonna be falling come, come six days from now.
1: Yeah, and I mean, usually, something like this would make me ask the question, okay, well, wh- was injury a factor for him last season, like in, the, in his play? Because he noticeably played his worst season. I mean, I think it's fair to say that was his worst season of football last year. And so, you know, as the NBA playoffs are happening, it seems like anytime somebody has a bad series, we hear uh, that they were injured injured, in the middle of of the playoffs. I, I wonder, you know, I would ask like, okay, well, was Deion Jones injured last season? Is that why his performance slipped? But now I'm mainly asking, do we think he waited kind of, Deeper into the offseason to get this shoulder surgery? Or do we think it happened kind of at the start and we just haven't heard anything about that? Because that would make me really wonder what, like the timing yeah, of it all. Why are we I mean, just now hearing about it?
0: It's definitely curious because, again, with post June 1st looming uh, exactly. and the idea that he could be traded or even cut and then be a street free agent for anybody to pick him up and sign by announcing this injury now, again, it makes you, everybody's going to go, okay, well, I'll wait till October. You know, there's no reason to <laughs> pick him up now. Let me see what my situation is in October. It could be six and two. It could be two and six. I mean, so there, there's a lot of reasons to not announce this now uh, unless he felt like, you know, if he was really trying to be, nefarious isn't really the right word, Will, but if he was just sort of being sneaky and planning around the fact that he thought the Falcons might get rid of him, knowing that he was injured Um, you know, the Falcons may offer an injury settlement, uh, more than anything else or or look to go down that road. I don't know. I, I don't know all the particulars of it, but the timing is definitively weird. Uh, and he may be able to keep some more of his money because he is injured as opposed to not injured. Theoretically the Falcons could put him on IR and leave him there and never play him. Uh, the money still counts against the cap. But the money was going to count against the cap anyway, right? Like even if you cut him after June 1st, you were only saving. I What was the, what was the number? You know, off the top of your head, I can't remember. I want to say it's like five or 6 million.
1: I want to say it was less than that. Okay. Like, I, I I don't think it was very much, but it was, it was something, right?
0: right. Yeah. So it, either way, I mean, you know, it, it could just kind of be a way you could argue that it was a way to stick it back to them. If they were going to cut me fine, you know, I'll be injured. And and one way or another, you guys are going to have to pay me or get rid of me and, Uh, Who knows what will happen here at this point? The timing, definitely curious. And uh, like I said, I think he's on borrowed time anyway.
1: Yeah. And and there's just been uh, there's been so many weird things with players who were once keystone parts of this organization. It just it's mind boggling that it's everything is kind of all coming to an end for so many different players in ways that you would never have se- foreseen
0: yeah. two or three years ago. I mean, that's a, the problem for me is, again, and I hate to beat this drum because I'm annoying when I get on a thing and I don't want <laughs> to go, but this was stuff that all should have happened when Arthur Smith first got here. They, they really should have just cleaned house all from then and started over, man. Like, I, I get it's not that simple, and I know I'm simplifying it by saying it, but it's mm-hmm. like you know, the, the moves that were all made were like obvious, man. You knew you had to get rid of Julio's contract. You knew you had to get rid of Matt's contract. You knew Deion Jones was just a, an albatross and he wasn't playing that well to the contract that he signed. Um, and, and you knew the players that you could keep, uh, and you did keep them. Luckily, you know, you still have Jake here. You still have Grady here. Uh, you know, obviously the, the young players that they drafted are still here, but you kind of figured, who was primed to go and who isn't? And I it just bothers me that they waited an extra year to do all this stuff when it could have been done before.
1: Yeah, and and I mean I I definitely think that there is a way to look at it, black and white game theory type of, of sure. way of saying if you're not gonna win at all, because for for years, honestly, uh inside the building, you know, to beak behind closed doors, I was like, if you're not gonna win the Super Bowl this year, then why win any more games? You have kind of an inherent obligation to future success to try to get as much uh, valuable capital in the short term to to build that up. And by winning games, you're robbing yourself of that draft capital. But I think as I've, you know, I, I can come around and be persuaded to the importance of maybe a 7-10 and 10 season last year where you surprised some people, you did win some close games because the mentality, I think, in that locker room was so shot after the 2020 season where things went wrong in every possible way. And guys just looked, frankly, spooked coming out of halftime. I mean, it wasn't even like the game's tight in the fourth quarter. They There just wasn't, I think, a belief that they could win really any type of game that wasn't just a blowout in their favor. And so I I think that that's maybe why they wanted to at least instill some type of culture. But yeah, it feels like they've now set this thing back by at least a year by, you know, maybe not going that course from the get-go. So yeah, I mean, Deion Jones... You know, you hate to see it kind of come to an end here, uh, potentially like it is, but that looks like the writing's on the wall. Another notable player who uh, apparently is rehabbing, Keith Smith, um, and that will lead us into the running back room because the running back room now all of a sudden is kind of this week uh, a major story. Keith Smith, obviously, presumably the starting fullback, um, but they signed today. Former Titans running back Jeremy McNichols also announced that Avery Williams Uh, Who was drafted as a defensive back is going to be kind of moved over to running back for at least training camp. And it, I mean, I I wrote down everybody in the running back room for Atlanta right now Cordero Patterson, Damien Williams, Keith Smith, Tyler Algier, Jeremy McNichols, Quadri Allison, Caleb Huntley, Avery Williams. That is about as loaded a position group as you could get going into training camp.
0: Well, Defend depends on your definition of loaded. I mean, it's body. Right? <laughs> true. Um, true. You know, it, 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 it says crowded, I guess it, I should yeah, say. I was going to say crowded is probably a better word. I mean, look, you and I talked about this. My bet is right now, as we sit here at the end of May, Tyler Algier is the week one starting running back. When they announce the starting lineups, so it'll be Tyler Algier um, being the week one. He's going to have every opportunity. If he doesn't get the starting job, it's because he didn't win it. And do you imagine more like a traditional running back role? Yes. I mean, that's... Okay. I think, again, they they are going to try to get Cordero out to wide receiver a little bit more this year as they should, or at least get him in the slot, at least try to create a little bit of mismatches for him that way. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, I I think Cordero Patterson last year was used in in the running back room as a necessity. If you really felt like Cordero Patterson was a guy you were going to trust, let's just say on the low side with 10 to 12 carries a game, you wouldn't have five or six other guys in the room. (laughs) You just Fair. wouldn't, right? Like, there's no reason to. Like, right. think about it. Go back to what even the Falcons had with Dan Quinn. After, uh, you know, Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman, yeah. there was only two other guys. Yep. You didn't need anybody else, you know? Yep. You, you, you had your, at the time, they had a fullback in Patrick DeMarco, but you get the point. Like, running back rooms are four deep. That's it. So when you have seven guys sitting there, it's because Cordero needs to know what to do at running back because he'll be gimmicky. And I don't say that as a slight on his talent, but they will use him in specific ways. But clearly, again, he's he's going to be going back out to the wide receiver position more than anything because if there's anybody who can stretch the field on this team speed-wise, it's him. So mm. I, I think that's the direction that they go. And Tyler Algier is going to have every opportunity to be the number one back on this team and win the job. I know those other guys that are there uh, – I'm not even sure what Kadri Allison is doing here, to be perfectly honest. And and I say that just because it's like you know exactly what you have. And if Mm -hmm. you didn't play him last year, why all of a sudden he's going to play this year over six other guys in a running back room? Like, that's weird to me. Um, Just from a standpoint of of connecting the dots, it doesn't seem to make a ton of sense. Um, But we'll see. I I think that this running back room, uh, more than anything, they are just hoping to find somebody who can give them – short bursts right but if you're looking for a bell cow the only guy i would say gets 15 to 18 carries on the regular right now is tyler algeal Yeah. So.
1: <laughs> and and i mean that that makes sense i weirdly i you know i i think that you could you could talk me into because he's got some of the size there if if they felt maybe keith smith is Gonna miss all of training camp and gonna miss the preseason. Maybe you plug in one of the bigger backs like a Quadriolison as as a little bit of a pseudo fullback for those purposes before the season starts. I mean, maybe because I do think because it is so crowded that something like that is probably at play. The Avery Williams part of it is really interesting because I think he's got a really good chance to still make the roster as a as your return guys, your kind of special teams key player back there to, to. take kickoffs and, and punts because he did that last year. And it's not like he did a, a bad job or a bad enough job to to cost him that role. And so usually when you pencil in a, a special team spot for one of these key guys, it's, it's going to come from the position group that they're a part of and yeah, cornerback is really crowded. Maybe they felt like they needed their more, their cornerbacks more than they needed some of their running backs to your point. How many running backs yeah. do we need? Maybe that's the spot where your fourth running back is your returner. I mean, what do you think about that?
0: Uh, well, okay, so it's always interesting when you see guys switch positions, right? Like when, when you're the Patriots and, and you do something like this, um, it's Bill Belichick being a genius. Yeah. When you're the Ravens or the Steelers or somebody or, or the Packers and you do something like this, it's the coach being a genius. When you're a team that has this bad of a roster uh, and you don't know anybody on the roster, you're doing this because you're the Texas State Armadillos and you're just trying to find guys who can play. Like yeah. anywhere, you know. Like it's just like it doesn't matter. I eleven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I think I, I don't want to slight Arthur Smith for this decision, but it's not often you see guys. It, it's not like playing going from second to shortstop in baseball. Right. Like this is dynamically different to go from defense to offense. It's dynamically different to go from corner to running back. Like if you said corner to wide receiver, eh, okay. I can get Mm -hmm. it. Schemes are similar, right? You're understanding what the other guy is doing. So, you know, sort of basic concepts and everything, but this is completely different. The kid used to be a running back in high school. Yeah. Heinz Ward used to be a quarterback in high school too. And you know what he never never did in the NFL play quarterback. So I, you know, it's one of those weird things to me that, um, speaks to the idea and I'll give Arthur Smith, I'll, I'll lean on credit here that he's willing to try anything at this point to get results. Uh, if he thinks that there's a way to do something that's better, he doesn't have to be conventional. He doesn't have to get stuck in conventional thinking. No, we can't do it that way because my dad would have never done it that way, even though his dad ran FedEx and didn't do anything with football. But you get the point. So you know, it's just like one of those things where uh, he's not he's not going to be stuck into some sort of box or some sort of uh, of cookie cutter way of doing things. He can go out on his own and figure out the ways he's going to do it.
1: Yeah, and I, I do really like the the thought process behind you know again it could make sense in a certain through a certain type of lens he does have a running back past you know he he went to Boise State kind of as a running back that's how he got his foot in the door and and then they transitioned him over to the defensive side of the ball but he's obviously got skills uh, as a return man and you could see those being translatable to a running back um, situation I I still kind of think that he's pretty much nothing more than than just your returner and so uh, I think your point is very smart about how many running backs do you need, especially because we know that Arthur Smith values versatility and especially personnel versatility. I, I think that their running backs and wide receivers, there's going to be kind of a, a blurred yeah. line between how they use all of those guys, anyway. So yeah, maybe they really you know think that their cornerback group is is a little bit deeper than, than we may be thinking.
0: Yeah. And that I would too, I would also say, just remember, I mean, you, you know, you're walking in a camp and OTAs count to with 90 bodies, right? Like at the end yeah. of the day, they're not keeping six running backs on the roster. Like that's yeah. just not good roster management Four, yes, maybe five. If, if he does play a whole ton of special teams Um, and and I can see the Falcons doing five with Cordero Rad- Patterson being considered one of the running backs, right? Because again, I think he'll play more wide receiver this year than he will anything else. But I'd be shocked if there's more than than four other ones other than Patterson on the roster.
1: Could you imagine what we would all be saying if the Falcons had not had that flurry of signing wide receivers, and then they just had eight running backs on the roster (laughs) going into training camp? It was like Drake London, OZ, and Auden Tate, and then eight running backs. It would be the way like when we were talking about the Ravens, two or three off seasons ago, and they just kept mm. signing tight ends. Yeah. What, was that the Raiden? Which team was that? Was yeah, like, no, because yeah. they
0: drafted uh, Hayden Hurst. They had Mark Andrews. They had yeah. Nick Boyle. They just kept stockpiling them. Yeah, it
1: was like, the do they know something that everybody else doesn't? No, they didn't. They just, you know, wanted a lot of tight ends. Um, yeah,
0: but I, I tell you what, I, I think Arthur Smith looks at it and says this two things, the the old competition adage that every coach has, right? The more bodies Mm -hmm. I put in there, the more competitive everybody's going to be, the best I'm going to see of everybody because they are going to have limited reps. So they're going to give their absolute best every single time they're out on the field. Like that's the old, you know, mentality of coaching just to create more competition. Um, So I think that's a big part of it. But two, the other part is, is that, you know, from a talent standpoint, all these guys are kind of generally the same and you need to see who deserves to be there and who doesn't? I, I, again, I think a lot of these guys are going to end up being all these signings that they did. Bye bye, you know. Come come training camp and they have to start cutting guys down. Bye bye. Like it, it, it's, you're not going to keep all. And don't be surprised to see if like you know for whatever reason, um, who's the guy they got from the Raiders? Why is he Reggie Williams is that. It? Damien Williams. Damien Williams, sorry. Yep. Uh, don't be surprised to see, like, if he were to get cut, it wouldn't shock me. Now, you'd go, exactly. you traded exactly. away an asset for him. You gave away next to nothing for him. But that's neither here nor there. The point is, is that, like, if he doesn't play well, he's not going to be here. You mm-hmm. know, it, it, there's no locks on this roster right now with the exception of three, four guys. I mean, <laughs> other than that, anybody else is fighting for a job.
1: Yeah, it's Young and and then everybody else. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean... Course. Yeah. I think that, um, I think that it's going to be a horse race, right? And, and you've got horses of all the same caliber and it's really just going to be all right. Who's, who's able to come first, second, third, fourth, kind of over the course of the next several months. And I don't think we're going to see a lot of Cordero Patterson in preseason this, you know, after all the moves today, that was pretty, pretty much made clear. And if there is a position that you want to maybe get guys and, and, yeah, you know, I hate. I always hate this term because it's very insensitive. But like Burnham and Churnham in training camp, like yes. running back is is where you would do it. You get fresh legs out there every five plays or so. It helps the rest of your team because you got guys running fast. Like so, there's there is a lot of benefit um, into heading into training camp and OTAs with a lot of guys at kind of that position in particular. But I want to kind of pivot away from the news, get into a couple of, of broader topics. And you know, I was going back and listening to uh, to your podcast and. Great job, by the way. Love, love hey. the, uh, the whole uh, overall vibe. Um, Appreciate it. And one of the things that you said on, on kind of your the Falcons could make Vegas look bad um, podcast was, you know, if the Falcons do manage to get kind of six, seven wins, because like they did last year, they just beat up on the bad teams. They didn't win against the good teams. There's more good teams, I think, on the schedule this year, at least on paper yep. than there were last year. And mm-hmm. so therefore your wins kind of they become harder to find. Vegas, you know, is not very favorable for Atlanta. What are they for? Four, four and a half, five and a half, four and a half. So, yeah, so I, I people are not high on Atlanta. Your point was, if the Falcons find a way, six, seven wins, that that looks really favorably upon Arthur Smith and Terry Fondo, even though the team has not really sniffed the playoffs yet under their regime. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? And then the flip side of where could this get precarious for Arthur and Terry?
0: Well, this is not a talented roster. We know that, right? Save AJ Terrell, Grady Jarrett, Kyle Pitts, you know, Jake Matthews, Chris Lindstrom. There's, mm-hmm. there's like no talent anywhere. It's like devoid of legitimate talent. Um, and after that, you know, uh, it's a whole bunch of unproven guys, exactly. including the rookies who may turn into something we don't know, but we're just assuming at this point they're unproven. So of a 53-man roster, you have four known commodities that are actually worth anything that could probably start somewhere else on an NFL roster after that it's it's up for grabs everybody if you can take that and get to six wins that's one win less than they had with matt ryan under center last year with this Mm -hmm. quarterback this wide receiver room the running backs we just went over the defense we just went over and the myriad of linebackers that nobody knows the name of that is a hell of a coaching job by Arthur Smith. That's about scheme. That's about taking less talented players and making them successful and putting them in positions to succeed. You know who does that really well? Some guy named Bill Belichick. In fact, he's made a 25-year coaching career and seven Super Bowls off of it. Does Julian Edelman look like a a specimen that scares the hell out of anybody on a football field? No. Chris Hogan. Chris Hogan. You could just name that. Why do you think Belichick was still taking guys like Keanu, uh, not Keanu Neal, uh, Hikari okay oh, uh, k- neil, k- harry. K- neil k- harry. harry whatever his name is i knew there was a, a k in there somewhere um <laughs> you know he's drafting guys like that because he always believes that he can make them better or he can create mismatches for guys like that and he can find value in players other guys can't that's really what's sitting in front of arthur smith and terry Fontenot right now and you know Fontenot's the guy who's orchestrating a lot of these seven running back rooms nine wide receiver mm-hmm. rooms right now just co- collecting players and bodies and talent saying okay Art, go find me the five or six most talented wide receivers. Go find me the three or four most talented running backs. That's on you. I'm giving you the best that I can get that's available right now. you got to coach him up. You know, and and I've said this repeatedly, and you and I talked about this on ADZ, about Kyle Pitts. Mm -hmm. It's inexcusable for him not to get 120 targets. It's just flat out inexcusable. He's the best mismatch on the field. And I don't believe Arthur Smith won't do it. I believe Arthur Smith absolutely will scheme the ball, but it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. Because... Throwing the ball in his direction is the best game plan you can have, period. It is the number one mismatch you will have on the offensive side of the ball. And so exploit it to to the nth degree. And somehow if you can turn this into, into six wins, one win less than you had last year with Matt Ryan, that is a phenomenal coaching job and a hell of a job by Terry Fontenot, just finding guys who can make things competitive. Because you're not winning a Super Bowl this year. Hell, you're probably not even making the playoffs. But show me you can at least be competitive That's really what you're looking for. And I keep going back to the comparison with the Cincinnati Bengals when they drafted Joe Burrow. They had no offensive Mm -hmm. line. The best receiver they had was uh, not T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. Okay, because T. Higgins was a rookie. And A.J. Green was coming off an entire missed season the year before with a foot injury. So those were his wide receivers. Joe Mixon was a guy at that point in time. He wasn't the Joe Mixon we know now. And that was it. And they had some players on defense. And yet every game that Joe Burrow played his rookie year, they were competitive. They fought. You could see that they were a different team with him under center. And that's all you're asking for at this point. Just be competitive. It's one – I always say this. How you win never matters. How you lose always matters, right? You can you can win a game on a bad referee call. No one cares. You can win a game on a, on a blocked punt that goes out of bounds for a safety. No one cares. You could win a game on, on a, a ball being battered off the opponent's helmet and landing in his hands. Like, it doesn't matter. No one cares when you win. How you lose always matters. If you keep getting your doors blown off and you're losing games 37 to 6 and you're getting embarrassed on a routine basis, that's a problem. That, that, that speaks to lack of preparation because nobody in this league, Will, is that far apart from anybody else. You no. can make an argument that every NFL team is only two or three players away from being a playoff team. So the talent gap is so small in this league that nobody should be getting blown out on the regular. And if you are, it speaks as much to lack of talent as it does to coaching and preparation. And that's where Arthur Smith can get in trouble. He's not expected to win a lot of games. Nobody's expecting him to. Hell, Vegas has even set their power rankings. And they're not like, you know, the stupid power rankings that sports reporters and guys like in our industry put together. They're actual legitimate power rankings, and they have the Falcons ranked as the worst team in the NFL. That a baseline team that is middle of the road and zero on neutral ground, the Falcons would be a five and a half point underdog, the largest in the NFL. Ooh. Okay, that's how God. little Vegas thinks of what the Fal- Falcons roster is, and a lot of that—that's that, that's not them guessing. That's based off of like years and years of number and data and talent based on, and, and stats rather based on right. the players that they have. So. They're telling you that the Falcons aren't good. Now, I'm somebody who's already looking to, to, to fade that, right? Because I believe the Falcons are going to be a little bit better than what people think. And as long mm-hmm. as Arthur Smith can keep them competitive in games, even if it's only for three quarters, right? That's a good sign. Like, if I'm in a 20 to 17 or, or, or like a, you know, uh, let's even just flip it around and pretend the offense can score, you know, like a, 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 a 24 24. kind of game as we get to the fourth quarter and then the final score ends up 42 to 24 because they scored 14 points in the fourth quarter and you didn't score anything i'm okay with that like it's gonna look like a blowout on paper but when you watch the game you know hey man they're hanging in for three quarters they got to figure out the last 15 minutes and how they get there and one or two guys could make that difference that's something you can actually sink your teeth into but that's why i say how you lose always matters if they're in games then that's important. And I think that's a great thing for Arthur Smith. And I could be foolishly optimistic and I know I'm rambling on here, <laughs> but like, I feel like there's reason to believe that Arthur Smith is the right coach to do this. Mm-hmm. For as much I, as everybody thinks I'm the negative guy in this town. Like I really genuinely believe he's a really smart coach and he's a little bit ahead of the curve on a lot of things. And I think that he really can do this and get this team to six wins.
1: I, I agree with you. I mean, I think I'm, I was a little bit more pessimistic last year than I think most people were. And I'm a little <laughs> bit more optimistic this year than I think most people were um, or are because I agree with you. I mean, I think he showed me a lot last year with his use of formation and personnels yep. uh, or uh, personnel groupings because y- you know, and the same holds true this year. Like that team, even with the players that they did have that they don't have now, was still not as good as a lot of the teams they were playing. Yeah. And so you have to find these small little advantages. And I think that Arthur Smith is a type of coach who really focuses on these small little details that they that add up and then win you football games because of the cumulative effect of those details.
0: Here's here's the real the real challenge. Um the offensive line. Like honestly that's the one thing that can blow this whole thing up. If if his offense doesn't have any time to be able to like just run a play that's going to be problematic. Uh and there's not much you can fix about that. It, I suppose he could scheme his way around it but I would expect, given the, the receivers and people that they've compiled, this is a whole lot of three-step drop and throw the ball to the biggest target you can find that's only four to six yards away. Like, they're going to dick and dunk the hell out of everybody. And then hopefully when everybody collapses, they'll take a shot down the field with somebody like Cordero Patterson or whatever. But I don't know that they're going to have all that much more time than other than for a three- or five-step drop and release. Everything's going to be timing routes with this team and and ways to get guys open that way. And I think Arthur Smith smart enough to realize that.
1: See, I kind of think we're gonna see much more actual play action bootlegs with with players okay. like Marcus Mariota and Ritter, and they're well, gonna move the pocket and they're gonna it. they're gonna I'm try also. to help. Yeah. So that's how that, that's, that's how just I think it takes
0: more time for you to get rid of the football. The one thing does. I don't like about the rollout is it cuts off half the field, right? And and Mariota mm-hmm. probably needs more than half the field to work with.
1: It's true, but maybe that also plays into the fact that they went and uh and grabbed some gigantic receivers. <laughs> so even if the field's cut in half, you can throw it vertically, you know, right. the sky's not. Right. Um what uh you know I, I'm worried because as I looked at the the schedule and we kind of right when it came out looked through it I think I found six wins. Um so so right there you know that kind of falls in but there was one thing that I've heard a lot of people and even let hearing you list it, list some of the the potential wins on the schedule in my mind I was I was waiting for you to maybe bring this up and you never did so I'm going to bring it up the easiest part of their stretch is week 8 through week 13, right? It's mm-hmm. it's the Panthers at home, Chargers, you know, it's iffy, but then you're on the road Carolina at or at home for uh for Chicago, at Washington, home for the Steelers. Those are most of your winnable games in a row right there. Yep. But they come after a brutal 7-game start yes. and before your week 14 bye, and I really just worry that their easiest stretch is going to be completely kind of fumbled away because of injuries just because of the fatigue the cumulative kind of wear of the season once it hits in there and then frankly that that game in Washington scares the crap out of me because of how bad that that field can be and because you're gonna get guys whose bodies have just been on full go for 12 13 weeks at that point I mean do you think there's anything there do you think those are games they should still be expected to win
0: okay I didn't bring it up in my Falcons can make Vegas look bad show, but I did bring this stretch up the day after the schedule was released, but for a completely different reason. And here is the reason why this stretch could be profitable for the Falcons and they can win some games. When I when the schedule first came out, and again, I don't do the predicting wins thing. I think it's stupid. I think mm-hmm. it's a waste of time. It's I have no <laughs> idea what the roster is going to look like at week eleven, yeah. when week one. And I generally
1: try not to either. Yeah. This so, is more I I look at it four games and I go I think they right. can win one game here. You right,
0: know? You break it down. But I look at like you know if they have back to back road games, the level of defenses they play, the level of quarterback they play, things of that nature. What are tough oh. stretches? What look like easy stretches? And the first thing I look for in a stretch is believe it or not when can I get Desmond Ritter into the starting lineup for a permanent basis? And the two Mm -hmm. natural reactions were after the Thursday night game or after the bye week because you get a couple extra days to prepare or you get a whole week to prepare. Well, the Thursday night game is week 10, and the bye week is week 14, and that's just too late in the season to, to really see if you have anything. The best and most opportune time to start and insert Desmond Ritter into the starting lineup is week eight against the Panthers. The previous week before, you're playing the Cincinnati Bengals. So it's not like it's a long travel flight back, right? You you know, an hour and a half flight and you're you're back home. But I say that because one, the Panthers don't have a very good defense. Two, you're home. Three, the other caveat to this is that you get to play the Panthers 10 days later and you'll actually get a chance to measure what he learned in a 10 game span from playing an opponent the first time to playing an opponent the second time. Uh, And I know the Chargers are the tough team in the middle there, but they're home for back-to-back games. And his first road game is against a team he's already seen two weeks ago. That is the most opportune time to get Desmond Ritter in there. If you're at a spot where after seven games, you're one and seven, you're two and six, whatever, I'm sorry, two and five, you know, Mm -hmm. and things are bad. That's the insert spot, if you ask me. I know it's on a regular week, but Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot have to be looking in the in the back of their mind and, and a long-term plan and going, if we need to make a change, given how brutal the first seven games of this schedule are, and the Seahawks may be the only win that we have, well, at least when we come home for Week 8 against the Panthers as Devin Ridder is starting and I have four home games in a six-week span, um, I'll at least get people to show up to the stadium because they want to <laughs> see the kid play in possibly winnable games that i mean like that's honestly the best way to do it um yes i agree 100 on that stretch and they probably could look if they split with the panthers and saints okay they're getting to five wins i i think that there are three they're, they're likely going to beat somebody they're not supposed to because of that i completely agree yep so there's one of those in there give me that three and then if you can find something else between the bears between, you know, uh, the Steelers, whoever else yeah. is out there that they could trip up along the way somewhere, you know, that I, I, they have to split with the Saints and the Panthers. I think that's, that's the real rub of the whole thing. And the fact of the matter is, is that you'll know kind of by Week 10 uh, if, they're, if they're going to do that one way or another because they've already played the Saints once and then they get the, uh, the Panthers in a t- two times in a three-week span. So, But that's that, that stretch that you look at right there. If, if guys are groggy and guys don't feel good, insert the young quarterback and see if they'll yeah. play a little bit harder for him
1: inject a little bit of new life yep. uh, totally makes sense. And I, I think the smartest, smartest, smartest point that you just made is that kind of doubling up Carolina in uh-huh. 10 days, because I remember asking Dirk Cutter the exact same thing about Caleb McGarry uh, when they played the Saints, I think twice in, twice 10, in 10 days. 30s, it was yeah. the exact same kind of deal because it was like, all right, you just saw him go up against, uh, yeah, I'm totally blanking Cam on it. Cam Jordan yeah, yeah, Cam Jordan and whoever. And then you get to see him make the adjustments you know two weeks later, like that's something that really coaches think about because you've got direct comparable tape that's not that far off um and you can see how did this player make adjustments, how did he adjust to their adjustments you you really do get a whole deep dive, especially at the quarterback position um when games are as close uh, as they are so what about the draft mark because you know it seems like the the draft was in a lot of ways now in hindsight more about what the team should be and will be in future years than addressing anything that we saw last year. Is that kind of the sense that you got from it?
0: I mean, the taking of the wide receiver to me says what they are trying to build, I think, philosophically. I didn't agree with it. I still don't agree with it. Um, From the standpoint of uh, balance is your best friend in the NFL, and uh, I, I still would have rather had The high level pass rusher or the defensive player, because at some point in time, you've got to fix this defense. Like you've got to address it to a point where it is sustainable. uh, Mm -hmm. And it's easier to find talent offensively, I think, than it is defensively, right? We just talked a little bit about that. You get a good offensive line, there's a lot of running backs out there that can run through big holes. You know, if you get the right blocking, there's a lot of wide receivers you can scheme open. Uh, against other guys, so and a lot of that is also dependent on the quarterback. I mean, you know Taylor Gabriel had one great year. It was when Matt Ryan was throwing the ball all over the place and winning the m v p You never saw Taylor Gabriel do anything again. Part right. of that is scheme, right so uh, but on defense, you just need athletes, man, you need players uh yeah. and I thought in the long term, um they needed somebody who could help be a cornerstone piece of this defense, and at the time again, we didn't have Grady resigned so Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you get him back and, and Grady's obviously going to be here probably for the better part of the rest of his career. If for whatever reason they decide to trade him or if something else happens down the road, that's fine. But, you know, I, I, so I didn't, I didn't love the wide receiver pick. Uh, I, I really would have been happy with anything else to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> but I, again, Arthur Smith is in love with a certain kind of offense and he's going to run it his way. Uh, so I understand why he's, why, why he did that. Um, you have two, very big receivers or pass catchers in Kyle Pitts and in Drake London. I will say this much, though, about the draft. I don't want to hear anybody tell me about their numbers shouldn't be respectable because of who the quarterback is. Malarkey, bullcrap, yeah. turds, whatever you want to say, whatever bad word you want to use, because guess what? You just drafted those guys two years in a row knowing that within a two-year span, Matt Ryan wasn't going to be your quarterback anymore. Those guys were going to be here, and Matt Ryan wasn't going to be throwing them football. You knew that when you drafted them both. So uh, you, you better have had the foresight to understand that it doesn't matter. These are guys who it doesn't matter who throws the ball. They're good right. enough to catch it. That's, yes. that's what's going to – I will not give Kyle Pitts a pass. I will not give Drake London a pass, and I will not give Arthur Smith a pass. And again, like I said, it's about targets. I get that they might not catch it, and I get that Marcus Mariota couldn't hit the broadside of a barn with certain throws. That's fine, but the target requisition share better be there for both of them because that's on Arthur Smith. Those plays better be schemed directly for those guys. That's coaching 101, and he's derelict in his duty if he doesn't.
1: Yeah, get the balls in the hands of your best guys, and that's no longer you—you you know, your quarterback. And yep. uh, frankly, I was getting tired, and, and I think a lot of people were getting tired of the whole, well, teams are taking Julio away, or they're doubling Julio, or, or whatever, or, or Calvin, or insert whatever number one receiver was ever in there for any game, but it was like, well, teams are trying to dictate the ball to go here. It's like, yeah, but teams are trying to do that with the number one receiver on any team. You know, Devontae Adams doesn't have an issue getting, getting all those balls. Like, you know, all all these players that you see Keenan Allen, whoever,
0: Jefferson, they still get all their balls.
1: (laughs) They're dudes. Get the balls in their hand. Like teams are trying to take away your best players, but you get them the ball anyway, because they're your best players. And I, I mean, that makes perfect sense. And I completely agree. I think the defensive side and, and I, was right there with you. I wanted Jordan Davis, candidly. You know, I, I know a lot of people said that was high at, at eight, but to me, the key difference between offense and defense is there is no type of quarterback position on defense. And and there's not one player who inherently is kind of either elevating or holding the rest of the guys back. It really is about like all 11 working together, doing their role. So you do need more good players, I think, on defense than on offense because one great player at the right position can overcome a lot of other stuff yeah and to me and jordan would s- davis <laughs> would have filled that need because he would have been one guy that i think freed up a lot of the other 10 so i'm right there with you but yeah
0: unfortunately when we review drafts and look back on them they're always look through the prism of who is left on the board that you passed over good right. bad different people and again I, i've done this with vic bees like don't sit here and tell me vic bees was a bad draft pick okay He was the best pass rusher available on the board at the time. They desperately needed one. Uh, And that's revisionist history to say that the the only other argument was that they could have taken Todd Gurley because Devontae Freeman at the time wasn't really what we saw in a back-to-back 1,000-yard back, back, you know what I'm saying? So there was a need for a running back there. But other than that, that, it's revisionist history to say anything else. When it comes to Drake London, it'll be about Jermaine Johnson. It'll be about all the other defensive players that were left behind him. Uh, and for Arnold Ebikadi, it'll be about Nakobe Dean, right? It'll be about him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know wh- what kind of career he has. If he's a stud uh, that you let go for whatever reason when you chose when you chose Arnold Ebikadi, and, and look, if Ebikadi works out, I think everything sort of goes away from that standpoint. Even if you miss on London because you got the pass rusher you so desperately needed, um, but still, you know that's the prison that we always judge these drafts through—right, wrong, or indifferent. It's just kind of how it goes.
1: All right, last one before I let you get out of here, Mark. Um, but you you mentioned Drake London, you mentioned the kind of the tall receivers, Kyle Pitts, obviously 6'6, Drake's Drake London, kind of six four, Auden Tate, right up there, Brian Edwards, tall, Mark Valdes Scantling, uh, tall, like these guys, um, all, all up there. What what do you think that's about? Do you really truly think that Arthur Smith just like loves all wide receivers, that they are what makes his offense run? Or do you think this is something a little bit different? Because I think when you look at when you look at teams, they're always trying to get advantages, right? And speed is something teams really prioritize. I think size and strength are what other some teams prioritize. Like Tennessee wants just like big, physical, strong dudes. They want to run you over and maul you. I, I would get it if the Falcons kind of view size and length as maybe their market inefficiency that they could go out and acquire and maybe that that's one of those small details or small advantages and footholds that they think the rest of the NFL maybe is not caught onto yet. And if you look at advantages that receivers have, speed, uh, route running ability, hands, all of that stuff, I don't think size is at a premium when you're paying for players in free agency. So in that way, the Falcons were probably targeting one of the more valuable in terms of just price tag advantages that a receiver could have yeah what do you make
0: about the Falcons just having a bunch of really tall dudes at wide receiver they want to play basketball on a football field I mean honestly that's that's what it is if they can outsize everybody and catch radius right like that's the other term catch radius they if they yeah. all have a great catch radius then um, you make Marcus Mariota's job a lot easier uh, and I think that's what more of this is about I, I know Arthur Smith has always had a penchant for big bodied wide receiver Aj Brown uh, and and who and Corey Davis, right? Like I mean, those mm-hmm. are the two guys that they put out there. They were two huge dudes, not the fastest guys on the field. AJ Brown was pretty fast, Um, yeah. but nonetheless, you know, it, it, they, they didn't have to be because they were going to be complete size mismatches for for most guys. Was that a reflection of the fact that Ryan Tannehill isn't all that accurate? Maybe. I mean, you know, <laughs> it, it, but I think when you have, it, it's it goes back to that. It, let me use like a military mindset here, you know. Um, it's just kind of all in how you approach it, right? If they're big and you're small, well, you're not tiny, you're, you're quicker, you're more agile, you, you, you have more room to move, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if they're heavier and you're lighter, um, they're slower, you're faster, right? Like, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's just kind of the way you phrase it and pitch it that, well, if we're taller than everybody, then we're going to be able to jump everybody and we're going to have mismatches everywhere on the field and that's what we're going to hope for. So if they want to play jump ball, For four quarters, that's fine and good until somebody figures out a way to start scheming these guys. I mean, look, at a minimum, I would say if the Falcons aren't drawing more pass interference penalties than every other, you know, (laughs) defensive pass interference penalties, then I'm not sure why you got these big bodies, right? Because that's what happens when you have big bodied guys. They start getting pulled on and tugged on because the Mm -hmm. smaller guy is just looking for any sort of way to grab something that's more of an advantage. Yep. I mean, there's more to (laughs) grab too. So, exactly the point. So, um, they, may, they may just be playing jump ball and hoping for a lot of penalties and a lot of fouls, um, if you will, uh, with the free throws to follow.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're going to get they're going to foul hunting early <laughs> get them to get them to foul out. No, I mean, I, I think that's it's like they're going to try to play like big ball, right? Uh, NBA teams are going small ball. The Falcons are going to say, all right, well, you're going to need the size and the length to match up with us. And a lot of defenses, even though that's becoming a little bit more in vogue with players like Isaiah Simmons, Kyle Hamilton, those types of guys. Defenses aren't filled with those types of players yet.
0: Right. And so the the other part of it, too, is that, as you said before, because size isn't necessarily a commodity that is priced heavily, when you don't have a lot of room against the cap, it's easier to find, right? Like, speed costs you money. Tyreek Hill costs money. DK Metcalf is going to cost money. Fast dudes cost money because they're fast because I yeah. can't recreate that somewhere else, right? I can scheme guys open. I can I can do a lot of different things, but I can't make anybody faster. Either they're fast or they're not. And when it comes to size, because it's not valued as much as you said, it's cheaper to find in the bargain basket. But now Arthur Smith goes, well, I'm just going to have the guy be taller than you are and I'm going to throw it up above yes. your head. It's To me, it's just purely about the only advantage we can get for the price that we could afford was size
1: yeah it's like what collectors set can we complete for the cheapest right exactly (laughs) and that's kind of that's kind of what they did awesome man well i I really appreciate you taking the time to to join me is there anything you want to let everybody know that, that you've got cooking before we get out of here?
0: No, just uh, give me a follow uh, on social media, both uh, Twitter, Instagram, at Mark M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. Check out the Hazard Ground podcast. It's my military-related podcast, Tales of Combat and Survival. Subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, certainly, we've got a huge audience. We've got over f- 4 million downloads, 270-some-odd episodes. It's a, if you're into like long car rides and you need something to listen to, they're great <laughs> stories. They're, they're absolutely stories that will get you hooked. So Hazard Ground podcast. Go to the website, hazardground.com as well.
1: Awesome, man. Thank you so much again for, for taking the time to jump on. You got it. Well, time, brother. All right, that will do it for today's show. Thanks again to Mark Zino for hopping on and joining me. I, I thought that was a great conversation. Uh, and he's definitely very, very good at creating opinions. That's his job. That's been his job forever. Uh, it's something you know, that I aspire to, but it made talking to him extremely easy. And uh, I thought it was a really energetic podcast. I hope you guys got a lot out of it. Because uh, you know, I think this season really could go a bunch of different directions, and I was a little bit surprised but heartened to, to think that Mark maybe thinks that the Falcons could be a little bit better than people think, because that, that's kind of the way that I feel as well. Um, so that will do it for today's show, which was presented as always by Bet Online. Please like, subscribe, rate review, all that good stuff. Let everybody know where they can find us. Um, you know, shoot us an email again. Uh, Believe in at Gmail uh, Let us know how you like the show. If you got any ideas, um, the intro music, all that good stuff and be on the lookout again next week for the very first Falcons flashback podcast episode covering the 2002 card win at Lambeau Field. That game is on YouTube if you would like to watch it before listening to that conversation because we're going to get into the broadcasters. We're going to get into um, a lot of like the atmosphere, the fan. It's a really cool game. It's all in the snow. It's at night. So if you haven't seen it in a long time or if you've never seen it at all, I would uh, highly recommend going to check that out and then giving this podcast a listen next week. So that'll do it. Everybody enjoy the long weekend. Happy Memorial Day and we'll see you soon.